0: Pray and ask for God's help. Dear Lord God and Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for the living word. We do thank you that you've not left us in darkness. We do thank you uh, not just for the light of these scriptures, but the light of the world, Jesus. And we do pray, as is our need, that by the Holy Spirit you would enlighten us, you would speak to us. We would do pray that you would touch our hearts, that we would go away from here blessed, encouraged, changed, and even if needs be. Saved, coming to a knowledge of the truth and coming to trust in Jesus with a sincere faith. We do thank you for your goodness to us and ask that you would bless us again in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Someone said, I think it might have been uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the moment a man realises that he is only a pilgrim in this world, that finally he has to die and face God, And there is all eternity before him. His old outlook on life changes. What's your outlook on life? Have you come to a point where you realize that this world is transient and you're only going through it as a pilgrim, that you face the reality that you are going to die, not pushing that away from yourself, that you have all eternity before you? What does that do to the way in which you live now? What does that do for you? Now, Paul wants something for these Ephesians. He wants something that they would know, something that they would understand. He wants something that they would be built up in faith about in verse 16. And I do not cease to give thanks to, for you, remembering you in my prayers, so that's what he's doing for these Ephesians, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you. So there's something big that he wants you to have, something amazing that he wants you to have, something that is almost beyond explanation that he wants you to have, that is for you and for your blessing and for your encouragement and for your lives. He wants the Ephesians to have that. He wants to give them something that's not just a trivial, boring bit of theology. He wants to give them something that is really a lie. Now, Ephesus was an important place. It's an important place in the world. It was a trade place. It was a major city. There was one of the seven wonders of the world which was built there, the Temple of Artemis or Diana. And it was significant. It was very rich. Now before I go on to that, I want to ask you, uh, uh, is... Is the church there for you? And I tell you that why I'm saying this, because I want to speak mostly from verse 15 to 23. And it ends in verse 20 to 23. Uh, and he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him as head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So having that in mind, I want to ask you a question before going on with introducing Ephesians a bit more. Uh, if I asked you is the church there for you, or are you there for the church? A bit of a difficult, maybe, a little bit of a complicated thought that's in there. But is the church there for you, or, or, or are you there for the church? And it's an important question. The Puritans struggled with this, and I think it was Owen that clearly stated, the church is there for you. It's almost like, when Jesus said, is man made for the Sabbath, or the Sabbath made for man? The Sabbath was there to bless man. He was making the point, the church is there to bless you. It's making the point. It's not a hierarchical structure which you come underneath. It's A fellowship of believers where God has gifted some people to be elders and some to be teachers and some to be ministers, but it's not a hierarchical structure, a great big organisation that eventually draws to it political significance. It's not that. It's there to bless you. The church is there not so that you go and do your dues. It's there for you to be part of and it's there for your blessing, for something good for you. You come to church because it is good for you to bless you for your spiritual health, for your happiness, for your joyfulness, for your encouragement. It's a place where you worship together and share. It's a place where you meet your Saviour, where Christ dwells amongst His people. It's a place where you share. And in experience, you reflect and you act upon the very love that Christ has for you. It's a place to be built up together to show the glory of Christ. Anyway, in, in, in Ephesus, you had this, this, this place there, and we know a lot more about Ephesus, mostly in uh, uh, chapter 19 of Acts, and there was a thriving trade of silver idols. Uh, uh, so we know it was a, a cosmopolitan, pluralistic place with idols, and there was a great big uh, 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 library there. It was a place of books and learning, a place where they took pride in their height of their culture and how it was seen. At one time, uh, 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 because of Paul's teaching, there was a a riot there and and, and the leader of the parliament said, you know, look, be careful, calm down. We're in danger of it being known that Ephesians is out of control. It's not a law-abiding, it's not a well-structured, it's not a cultural centre. Don't go down the road of this riot. We'll deal with it in the proper way. And we read of Paul's experience in Ephesians, and there was this silversmith, Demetrius, who opposed him. Why did he oppose him? Why did the silversmith get cross at Paul? Because this gospel was so influencing the culture of Ephesus that people stopped buying these idols. It was affecting their earnings and when you touch somebody's earnings they get very cross we get very anxious about earnings and money it's closer to our heart than we really want it to be it brings insecurity when we don't have enough but here's Demetrius that's selling these idols and all of a sudden many people are becoming Christians and not buying the idols and Demetrius was mad he should have been doing a different trade but it affects things So therefore, your life affects things. Your life and the way you live when it's tied to the gospel and when you see it clearly affects the way in which you live and it affects the world around and about you and that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to bless the world around and about you because the gospel is changing you. You're not forced into the mould of the world you break that mould and you're put into Christ and his church and that changes the way in which you look at the world and the way in which you live. Does your faith affect that? What you buy, what value system you live by, what aims and aspirations you have, is it set by the world? Is it set by uh, 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 materialism? Or is it set by different isms that are all around, whether you introduce feminism or whether you introduce all sorts of other things? Are those the things that affect your outlook on marriage? Are they the things that affect your outlook on the way in which you bring your children up? Are they the way which it affects what job you choose, how you work, what is affecting you? Is it the individualism? Or is it Christ and the Gospel? And these Ephesians were really very early on in their lives walking with Christ to such an extent that the world of Ephesus was troubled by it. And these Christians give, and they were sacrificial. We also know of this issue of the sons of Sceva. We know that there were people that were dealing with spirits and then all of a sudden they wanted to make money out of that which they saw Paul doing, casting out spirits. There were evil spirits in Ephesus. And they wanted to make money and so they tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out spirits just they thought it was just another way in which they could make money. And they were beaten and they were running down the street. We know Christ, we know Paul, we don't know you. And there are many people that would use religion and use the gospel of Jesus Christ to make money. And really, I would be pleased to see some of them beaten and running down the street because they are not what this gospel is all about because you look very clearly. Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter and he was not telling them how wonderful and how many things you could have by following Jesus Christ. He was encouraging them because he had spiritual blessings that were far more important than material blessings that this world has, and he saw it clearly. In fact, the material blessings that the world had was generated because there were spiritual blessings, mostly at the time of the Reformation, that took place within the history of this world. But there were evil spirits and there were false Christians. And be aware that the reason that many people are following these people that are trying to make money out of sharing the gospel is because they themselves in their own hearts have a desire to make money out of the gospel and think that by going to this church or that church or this place or the other church, they'll become wealthier and better off. They're actually doing the same thing as the person that's leading them. Some of them are. Some of them are just conned into it. But Ephesus was full of dark things. Remember the believers, they brought their books of, of, of spells and curses and witchcraft and things like that that they were tied into themselves. And they brought those books and they put them in a pile and they set fire to them. They, didn't, they, were, worth, they were worth thousands. They were massively valuable. And yet, they were saying, we're not just going to sell them and get them out of our houses. They said, we are going to publicly unashamedly, take these things that will be a curse to anybody else that uses them, and we are going to get rid of them. No matter how much you are upset by it, no matter how much that it really comes against you, we are going to burn them. And you're going to know that that has nothing to do with us anymore, publicly and openly. Your faith is public, it's open, it's not to be hidden away. We have nothing to do with things that are dark, that things that are dishonest, that things that are evil, that things that con people, that seek greed. We have nothing to do with that. We are sacrificial in the way that we live to bless others. We do not agree with the teachings that show that to be successful you need to be selfish, and to be selfish is to be good. We oppose those things. We look at our Saviour who was sacrificial in what he did to save us, and we become sacrificial to bless other people, and that's the way in which the gospel is at work in our heart. It was so freeing up that they stopped looking at gain and started looking at blessing other people that were around and about them. Their commitment, their sacrificial commitment to Christ was so very deep and so very real. How is your sacrificial commitment to Christ? Do you see Him? Do you understand what He's done for you? Do you feel what He's done for you? Is it an overriding thing that's in your life that really puts all other emphases out of the way. Do you love to give? Okay, in this first chapter, as we just glance through the first part of it that we read up to verse 14, the Ephesians were freed from fear. They were freed from greed through faith in Christ. These were the blessings that were brought to them. These were the spiritual blessings that were brought to them. And these spiritual blessings were perceived to be more real to them than the external things that were in the world. The spiritual blessings, the deep things, were more real. Sadly, when we come to faith in Christ, the external things still often seem more real. But Paul wasn't concentrating on any of that. The blessings that he was talking about were all spiritual the physical world they had been tied to, but these Ephesians broke that very quickly. Look, 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 look. You have, and everybody has, whether believers in Jesus Christ or not, senses. You've got your eyes, your ears, your taste, your smell. You've got all these things to enjoy life with, okay? They're to enjoy life with. And so you see with your eyes and you want to see beauty. And you appreciate the beauty of art, and you hear with your ears and you hear the beauty of music, and you eat your food and you taste that which is good or that which is bad. it depends on your uh, what you feel like, but they 're blessings that are there, but this world, when it goes away from Christ, tends towards ugliness. A little example would that would be the the, the 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 architecture of communism it just becomes uh, uh, grey bland boxes that are the same shape and the concrete and, 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 and there's no pleasantness within them not to see them, not to live in with, not to live in them. When you go away from Christ, ugliness increases. When the gospel enters into a situation and you see the spiritual for the reality that it is, then the physical starts to become more enjoyable. You start to see nature with more joy. You start to appreciate beautiful things with more joy. You start to appreciate music. The music that we have today becomes not just ugly in the sound, but in the very content of it, which exalts sex above all things. Most of the modern music that you listen to, there wouldn't be one that doesn't have a swear word in anymore, or one that doesn't glorify abnormal sex anymore. There are very few within the modern Western world that don't have those things. It becomes ugly when you go away from the gospel. It becomes serious, you see, because a spiritual you need to see. And why I'm saying this is a spiritual, you see, changes the physical into that which is good. The reality of the spiritual is way above, more important than the temporal. And as I say, when Paul was talking about these things and these spiritual blessings, he was speaking from him, from experience because he didn't have the expectation of a car or a house or anything like that. He had the expectation of prison when he was taking the gospel and he was speaking from prison and the reality of his experience was that he had great wealth. He spoke about the inheritance that was there. He had great wealth even though he was imprisoned, and that was nothing to do with anything physical. It was purely to do with the greatness of the reality of knowing Christ. Now, so I have to ask you, how real is your experience of Christ? Does it really focus you into him? Or does it focus you? Or is your life focused on other things? Is Christ all-consuming, freeing reality for you? Now in verse 15, so for this reason, I'm going to read it out to you again. Because I have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. And he starts with for this reason. So the reason is usually that which is passed before it. So that which he spoken about in the verses before for this reason, okay? Then he goes on to speak about the other things that come. They were two tied together. But what had been stated briefly, what reasons had been given, they were blessed in Christ. If you go back to verse 3, they had spiritual blessings. Heaven is our home. You know the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. They're not carnal. The scriptures always take us to that point. They were chosen by God and adopted Never to be lost. He was showing them the security that had youth Ephesians. You're in a hard place, in a hard time. Everyone's seeing what's taking place. In Ephesus, there's these difficult things going on around in your lives and things like that. But you are walking well. And I'm encouraged by you. But know this. This helps you. Look, this is not there as a it wasn't throwing it out to be a point of theological discussion <laughs> and theological argument. And for you to give your opinions and to show off what you know about whether you're chosen or not chosen or, th- or, 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 or predestination. He was showing it there as a very practical, very serious side that they need to know that they were secure, completely and totally secure. So he told them you were chosen by God. He's by God himself, the creator of all things that has you in his hand." And he is blessing you with spiritual blessings. And you are adopted, never to be lost. Be secure, and that means that you can continue to walk no matter what takes place outside and around and about you. That was his aim. Be sure of your salvation. Are you wavering? Are you thinking you've sinned and then all of a sudden you've lost it? Are you troubled by what's taken place? Are you not convinced that you're in God's hands? And Paul's saying, be convinced. Something might have taken place to you in Ephesus and all of a sudden you lost it. You got angry. You stole something. You've done something. Well, you're in Christ, okay? He won't lose you. That's wrong to do. But now you've come back. You're confessing your sins but you know that you're not lost. Christ is with you. Are you sure of your salvation? You know and are known by God. Look at the way these (laughs) Ephraim believers changed their actions. They were losing money. They were willing to lose money. They were willing to live holy lives. I, I know that there's a lot of financial pressures on you. And I know that some of you really are struggling to even cope and you can't pay the rent and things like that. But there's a certain time where you might have money and they were willing to lose money and live holy lives. And then you have this word redeemed. He told them, you're, you're redeemed. You're bought with something. Something has taken place that bought you. Okay, You're bought with Christ himself, the creator of all the universe, has bought you with his own blood. He put himself in your place, the Holy One, for you, the shameful one. He put himself there to stand between you and the anger of God and he took the anger of God on himself. You need to be able to think and experience and know by the work of the Spirit of God in your heart that you have been bought by the blood of the eternal Son that God himself has redeemed you? Do you feel it? Do you know it? Do you rejoice in that? The bill has been paid. The advantage is there the Creator Himself has done it, the Lord of all eternity has done it, a price above all that you can imagine or even get close to imagining, that, when your eyes are set on that, takes your eyes away from all that is temporal and all that is nonsensical and puts it in Christ. And then they were sealed, they were told. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, is your experience that you can stand and you can say, I have been sealed with the Spirit of God. Are you rejoicing in that? Is there something inside of you that all of a sudden says, that is so good. Look at me. I have been sealed by the Spirit of God. I have not earned it. I have not done anything good to get it. I have not done anything except turn my eyes and trusted Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit of God has done that. He's brought me to a place of faith and He's brought me to a place where He's seared me by His Spirit so that I can know, that I know, that I know that He's with me. Do you know that you know that you know that you know the Spirit of God at work in your hearts and life? Now, you can dampen the Spirit. You can push Him to one side. He is the dove. He is the peaceful dove. You can continue to sin and distance yourself from that Spirit of God. David in Psalm 51, take not your spirit from me. It was overriding in the desire that he had. And I think there's maybe something of that when Moses was on the mountain and he was pleading with God for the people that God had said that he was going to put them away from him. Oh, if you're going to put them away, block me also out of that book. He was so tied to it. But also, when Moses felt something of the glory of God when he passed before him and he had to hide his face and he put him in that cleft of the rock, there was something of the Spirit of God and something of the majesty and something of the power. Do you know that you're sealed by the Spirit of God? These Ephesians did. That's why they could live how they lived. For this reason... For these reasons, not a vague idea, but a living, life changing, radical reality that was taking place. This eternal change that brought about a militant faith, life changing and radical allowing you to face this evil world, not overwhelmed by it, not depressed by it, not ground down by it, knowing that this life is a short life and you have eternity in which you're moving now. Things happen then, when we're looking at 15 to 23. 23. The church, jumping again to what we started at the, first, uh, at the beginning of what I was talking about, the church is Christ. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things a church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How can anyone harm the church? How can anyone look lightly at the church? How can anyone choose to attend or not attend the church? How can anyone not be bothered and then claim to be filled by the Spirit of God? I do not know. And don't try to explain because I don't want to know. When Christ is in your heart, you are one of his children and you will meet with his people. It's his church that he is building up. The church is a place where you will be blessed. The king, he is the king, the ruler, he tells in 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one that is to come. He indwells her with his spirit. The church is his own, it's his body. He is the head of it. The closeness is so tight. Outside of that, you are floundering about I think it was Spurgeon that that, that said, someone came to him and he said, look, look, I I can worship up in a mountain somewhere by myself. I can go elsewhere and I can do my worship and I can be wonderfully happy in doing things like that. And as he was talking to Spurgeon, in those days they had open fires with coals in it. He took one of the pieces of coal from without the fire and just put it next to the hearth. And of course, all the coals that were in the fire were glowing red, but the one that was taken out and put next to the hearth grew cold. If you think you can stay away, And walk with the Lord in victory and know the Spirit of God in you and sharing the love of God. Well, you can't do it outside of his body. The church which he gave himself for. She's going to be spotless and Christ fills her. How can you be bored with the church? How can you not feel his presence with his people? Do you not experience his teaching, his love, his fellowship, his building up? Don't you experience these things when you're with the church? Well, if you don't experience them, maybe you need to consider, or not consider, maybe you just need to go back and just ask, plead that God by his Spirit would touch your hearts and warm them in the right way so that he have great joy of being with his people. Don't pray. Do you not pray for your brothers and sisters? It's a world so encroaching onto you that you're too busy to be involved with true spiritual things. Do you ask that Christ might give you a love for himself and his church? Are you so sensitive when somebody upsets you that you can't be bothered to come along anymore because your little sensitivities are bothered? Because you've not learned to forgive. and You've not grown up yet, to be quite honest. So you remove yourself from the body of Christ. So making yourself poorer and not bearing a testimony to the power and the love and the overwhelming uh, uh, sense of his spirit with you. In, in, In Ephesians, the believers... They knew that they were living in eternity. They had an eternal perspective all of a sudden. They didn't walk lightly. Later on, there was a place near to Ephesus, Ephesus, Miletus, and Paul later on didn't return to Ephesus because he knew that they would grab hold of him and hold him there. He'd been there for three years, you know, and... and, and and, and, and they loved him so much and so he called into Miletus and called the elders to go and see him at Miletus so he could get away from them. He wanted to get away from them. There was this deep love that they had for the believers. It wasn't just an outward show or a political thing. It was a, 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 something deep that they had. But they were looking for better things. C.S. Lewis talked about happiness. We haven't got a right for happiness in one sense. We're sinful, but it's something that creeps up on us and surprises us. You will not find happiness. You buy a new car. Within a week, you're bored with it. I'd like the opportunity, but anyway. Uh, 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 You know, try it uh, once or twice. It might be good, but that's the reality of it, to be quite honest. You know, if if you buy a new car, you know the very best thing you can do with it is you can go out and have a little accident, and then it really stops you from worshipping it anymore. You know, you just think, well, that's done it now, isn't it? and you get less bothered about it. You know, it's a good thing to do. You know, But really, we need sometimes God to actually remove our hands from those things, because really those things remove our hearts from him. Paul asks for them. He wants something for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory... He asks that he might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. That's what he asked for. That's what's most important for you. Most important for you is not to have a career or a job. Most important for you is not to graduate from the university. Most important for these Ephesians was none of that rubbish. What was most important for the Ephesians and what's most important for you is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now we've got this idea of wisdom and we've talked about it before in the church. We've had uh, uh, our ch- Thursday meetings that have been dealing with wisdom at some time and there's a lot to be said of it. And we can't go through it here, but it is personified in Jesus Christ and he's living, and by wisdom he created the world. It's not the wisdom to have a great intellect. It's not the wisdom to be the best engineer or the most successful doctor, give me wisdom for this exam. It's not that. It's nowhere near that, to be quite honest. It's something much, 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 much deeper. Now the wisdom that you get from Christ might affect the wisdom that you have to live in this world. And it should do, because it changes your perspective on life completely and totally. But Paul's overwhelming concern is that Christ Jesus would be born in them and they would understand the greatness of this salvation and the greatness of this Christian life and the greatness of eternity that they've got to spend with him. And so therefore, they can live as men and women of God. But not primarily that, primarily that they would know Christ and therefore be happy in knowing Christ and be joyful in knowing Christ and knowing the depths of his love for them. That's what you should be enjoying. Christ's character born in you. His resurrection life would be in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. He talks about that. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us? Who believe? It's not the power to make the right business decision or the right wisdom to do that. That is far from it. That is far, far away from the wisdom to know Christ. And you can't know Christ. Your intellect can't take you there. He can't take you there because you're sinful. He can't take you there because something deep within you wants to show that you are good enough and can earn and can be what you should be. And it shows you that by your success that you are explaining how God is blessing you or all other such things like that. You can't do it. It's against the human heart. You need to be given wisdom from God. You need to be born again from above. You need the power, the resurrection power of Christ in you. And that's what God gives you. Look, it's what God does, not what you could do all the time. It's not like self-help books. It's not like a, 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 a motivational talk. It's not that. That won't do it. He'll take you so far. The basis is wrong. You need to be made new in Christ. And you need the joy of experiencing that. That's what changes the resurrection power of Him in your own lives. Now, do you... I ask again, do you have that? Do you know Christ? Is it an overwhelming love for the Saviour who loved you, who redeemed you, who bought you with a price, who chose you? who put his love on you, who sealed you, sealed you with his spirit, is that where it's up to with you. We cannot understand we're so twisted unless this God steps in and thank God he did step in. He stepped in in Christ. And Christ died. And Christ took, raised himself again. The same power that raised Christ do you know it? Do you know God the Spirit enlightening you, calling you to trust in Christ sincerely? To understand your weakness is a good point to start from. Paul, his great intellect, knew his weakness, knew his sinfulness. I'm the worst of the worst, you would say. And he felt it. And until you feel your weakness, you won't come. So in verse 19 and 20, again, I'll read them to you. And what is the immeasurable greatness? The immeasurable greatness of his power. It can't be measured. The universe is too big. We talk about minimal lengths, the Planck constant, if you want to go to science. you could do Massive distances measured by light years. You can't imagine it. Your mind won't stretch to it. We talk about terms of millions and billions and they're they're unbelievable. And he says, okay, well, you look at them and let it show you something about the immeasurable. The immeasurable. Greatness of his power towards you. Do you think that God's power is limited towards you? We live as if it's limited. It is not, it's immeasurable that power towards you. It will hold you forever. The power to give life, the power to raise you again from the dead, the power to give you eternity. He gave his life and he took it up again. The creator of all. What would you give at the end of your life for five more minutes? Or just five more minutes? My last breath. Don't let it come just now. Five more limit Minutes. How much is it worth, that child that's in your arms? How much would you give? You'd give your own life for it. His great power, His wisdom has been revealed in the cross by His Spirit, the non-believers blind. It's only spiritually discerned. His great power gives you eternal life. This life, you can give it up. Don't try for five more minutes. It's not worth it. For me to live is, Christy, to, is Christ to die is gain, said Paul. Perhaps you don't yet see. You need to know. Christ said to a man, there's one thing you, you, you lack. Sell all that you have. Sell it. Follow me. He was disappointed. He had lots of things. Get your eyes off the world and on to Christ. And See. The immeasurable greatness of his power, and see the inheritance that you have in Christ. He's raised him from the dead, he's seated him at right hand in heavenly places, far above rules and authority and power and dominions. You have this inheritance. eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints he wants you to know there's an inheritance for you he wants you to know what's in that inheritance he wants you to dwell on that inheritance that he is freely given to you which is beyond what you can imagine And the wisdom that's in Christ enables you to see that. He chooses. He redeems. He gives wisdom. He died to give you the inheritance. He seals you with his spirit. He does it. What do you do? It's secure because he's done it. You enter into it. Your experience of entering into it is faith. This almost reads like a hymn of rejoicing. And worship towards God because it's almost unbelievable what He's given. And we read through it almost bored sometimes. Stop and dwell on it. He heals the sick, He raises the dead, He gives His Son, He rises again, He gives you eternal life. He shares His eternity with you, He shares His holiness with you, He clothes you with His own righteousness. There is security eternally in Christ, so rejoice in Christ. Exalt him. He's far above all. No name is higher. His ways are beyond. Worship the Lamb.